and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me. Wally Lukashensky out there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where this Raiders got to come up and visit and catch a fat dub, which you know we're going to talk about. Wally, how was your football Sunday in your weekend, bud? Man, it was a great weekend. I got to actually go to a few of my buddies' houses, got to watch the game there with about six, seven Steeler fans, which naturally, it made it a little bit more fun for me. Felt bad for them because, I mean, they didn't get to see a true Steelers team this weekend. I mean, half their defense was out. We'll get to talk about that, like you said, when we get to that game. But it's hard for me to pretend like I'm not fired up about this. Two Raiders games now, dogs by four and a half or more in each game, and then do it. Play a very tough couple AFC North teams, get a couple wins. I'd be lying to tell you that I'm not confident as all hell in this Raiders bunch right now. Otherwise, what's going on with you? I bet it was good to see the Packers finally get that W for you. Absolutely. Aaron Jones coming out with four touchdowns. Three of them are reception touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers also finished with four, so you got to love to see it. To kind of take that, let's take a step back to what you're saying. Two awesome games by the Raiders against two really big opponents. And is this going to be a game that we're going to look back on, at least the Monday night game to start it off, where that could be a deciding factor for potential playoff implications? The Ravens just beat the Chiefs? But the Raiders just beat the Ravens last week. Uh-oh, a little bit of drama. It's only week two, but you know we're going to have to harp on this a little bit. Raiders coming in to win the division. This is going to be the, the tiebreaker? It just goes to show how across the NFL, even the best teams like the Chiefs, there's such a narrow margin of error that you have in these kind of games, and matchups really do play a factor. I mean, the Chiefs did not match up well with the Ravens at all. I just thought their offense was going to be enough to overcome that and cover the four and a half. Not only did they not cover, you see the Ravens win, but if you're able to make Lamar throw the ball, that's what we're still waiting to see. He wasn't able to really do that last week in Vegas. He wasn't really forced to do it on Monday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what I'm sitting here and waiting to see from Lamar in the Ravens. But how about before we talk about that, a couple stories from this weekend. The Colts are going to be the first ever team to have an in-season hard knocks. I think that that has kind of the potential to be much more intriguing than you see the preseason hard knocks, just because you're going to obviously see a team spiraling to a season that was disappointing or building up for a postseason run. Regardless, that's going to be much more exciting and won't get a stale after a couple weeks. I wonder if the qualifications of being in the in-season hard knocks is going to be a little bit different than it is for the off-season hard knocks. So for use that for for use for use that don't for the youths that don't know for you to be qualified for hard knocks, you have to at least miss the playoffs for two years. You cannot have a new head coach, and you have to be essentially dog shit. That's why the Cowboys have been on it twice in like a four or five year span. So I wonder if they're going to change anything in particular. I don't. Only time will tell if this Colts team is actually going to be entertaining enough for me to watch. I think the first part of the spiraling down and what the season will look like is what we're going to get this first season. So maybe there's going to be a, uh, maybe they add a little bit of reality TV twist to really spice it up, get some scripted shit in there to make the spiraling season look even worse and more dramatic. That is really a interesting fact when you look into this. I think they still will be in the mix with the AFC South because The Titans really haven't been anything to write home about so far. They did get the win on Sunday at the 12 up in Seattle, but I'm still not sold on what Seattle is themselves yet. 
So I want to give that a little time. This weekend should be a great test. I mean, it's one of the early season great matchups, division matchups too, getting to see the Titans and the Colts play this weekend. It's just hopefully for everybody's sake, we see what Carson Wentz is able to do. Hopefully he's able to play because if not, we really don't find out too much about either team still. I just want to see that dude in double boots. Just walking around, because you know he sprained both his ankles. I just want to see him double-booted up walking around in hard knock. Looks like the really clumsy kid in middle school that we all make fun of that has freckles and glasses. That's what Carson Wentz is going to look like. Also, I have to call back a second. That was a great My Cousin Vinny reference. I had to point that out. The Utes, you can't beat. That was such a great movie. Classic. The girlfriend doesn't like it. I still think that she gives, gives it the opportunity, but it's on a lot, which means it's on my TV a lot. Speaking of, this actually just kind of came naturally. Something that's going to be on my TV more, not the fucking Monday night broadcast booth. Peyton and Eli, they have their own little Monday night bash that they have on ESPN2 where the game is going on in the background and Peyton and Eli Manning are there almost breaking it down as the game goes, a little bit of commentating. But the most entertaining part is they have a lot of ex-NFL stars and even some current NFL stars that join them. Last week, he had the likes of Ray Lewis. He had Travis Kelsey joining. This week, he had Brett Favre because of the Packers being on Monday night. I think it's awesome, and quite frankly, it's better than whatever broadcast team ESPN is producing on their actual Monday night football channel. Yeah, because I'm, first of all, I hate Steve Levy. I'll come out and say it. I have no problem admitting it. He just comes off. Whoa, whoa. What's, what's wrong with Steve Levy? I like that. If anyone, he's the one I had the least amount of problem with. God, no. God, he just comes off like such a smug douche. I can't stand him. I'm sure he's nice in real life, but listening to him call a game, I can't stand him. I like Lewis Riddick. I really like him. I just can't stand Steve Levy. So going to Peyton and Eli, it's almost like that Sunday afternoon, your group of friends are watching a game feel to it. The only difference is your friends might not know what's going on enough where it's kind of stressful to sit through a game with them. These guys are actually adding something of value other than throw the ball or why don't you run it? Like some stupid thing that you hear from your friends and you have to just kind of be calm and be like, all right, I chose to be here. This is my fault. But yeah, great job by that. That sounds like a wildly specific example, Wally. Was that kind of foreshadowing on a story you're going to tell us this weekend, Sunday specifically? No, actually, believe it or not, the group of guys I watched the game with on Sunday, they're one of the groups of people I love to watch football with because they're all former players. They're all guys that kind of live and breathe football too. So it's much more like they're Steeler fans, but they're the type of Steeler fans watching that game saying, wow, Big Ben, like, love you, dude. You're washed. We kind of have to move on here. We're not going to get it done with you. They're like the fans that are able to look long and hard in the mirror. Unlike some others. And yeah, it was probably oddly specific, but I think most of us know those group of friends when you watch a game with, and it's always brutal. It's never fun. And then you're stuck there explaining why they're an idiot half the time, or you have to sit there and swallow your tongue, which is even more frustrating. You just need new friends. I like my friends. I don't know what to tell you. I guess I just need some new friends. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, yeah, that's probably true too. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think I just need friends in general. I actually have I have my favorite friend here right next to me. It's a nice, cold Mick Ultra. Yeah, I'm watching the cows. And we got the hair of the dog that we can start off here. It's what gets us going. Cleanses the palate here a little bit. Talk about all the shitty NFL games that happened here this past week. We'll, we'll breeze through it, hit some, hit some points, and then we'll eventually get on to the good stuff here. We're going to start it out here on the Thursday night game where the Washington football team defeated the New York Giants, where 
Me and Wally took a nice fat L here. Spread was at three and a half, and that's what it closed at. With Washington only squeaking away by a one-point victory. And man, that was a heartbreaking victory for the New York Giants, who jumped off sides to give Dustin Hopkins another attempt at a game-winning field goal, which he had missed. And then the second attempt, of course, he made. And that's not the only time that the Giants shot themselves in the foot here. I think the biggest story out of here is Taylor Heineke and his performance. Only the third NFL start under his belt. Finishing with 336 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. But what did you think about Taylor Heineke? And are you all in? I know we talked about it last week. But after this performance, are you all the way in on him? For the rest of this season, I'm absolutely all the way in on him. The only problem is, I think long term, I'm still not sold. I think we need to see more. When you have a guy that's seen so few reps in the NFL, defenses haven't exactly caught up to him yet. You see this across all other sports too, where pitchers, especially in baseball, when they first come in, batters don't have a read on them. Then you have goaltending and hockey. Guys don't have a read on where they might be weak. It's very similar. So we're going to see. I noticed a couple of my buddies even pointed out, he does kind of stare down his receivers a little bit. And you saw that on that pick he threw which was crazy. That game, it felt like both teams were trying to lose there in the final five, six minutes. The Giants, they drop a touchdown with six and a half to go from, or well, I want to say it was Slayton that did that, and it would have made it like a 30 to 20 game. And then on top of that, you have Washington throws a pick with just over two minutes left in the game. Lucky for them, they did manage to get the ball back after Graham Gano, who was Mr. Automatic all of a sudden. Everybody talks about Justin Tucker, but what Graham Gano is doing right now is very special. And regrettably for Graham Gano, because, man, guys like that deserve better on that night. Washington drives down the field, has a chance to hit, like you said, hit that field goal. Giants jump off sides on a miss. Brutal time. I mean, ultimately, I don't think it matters much for the Giants. I don't think they're going to be a player in the division anyways. But for Washington, this was a major win. Because I think it's going to ultimately turn out to be them and Dallas in this at the end of the year. And with Dallas seemingly much improved, it is very important that we see what they can do. Well, before we get into the next game, bud, we missed this. So that game-winning field goal earned Taylor Heineke a $125,000 bonus there because he, A, won the game, B, played in 60% of the snaps in there. So shout-out to Dustin Hopkins getting two people paid on just one kick. And one miserable person. Can you imagine how pissed off that that New York defender is? He's like, no, I just got him 125k for doing nothing for me jumping off sides. I think it hurts more the fact that he's literally lined up over the ball. I feel like a 55 year old dad watching a TV screaming at it right now. But the fact that you are literally lined up over the ball, middle of the defense, you're very rarely going to make a block yourself unless you get immediate penetration. I understand the, what urgency to get that there, but man, that is just a tough loss. And I guess good for Henneke for getting that $125,000. Probably would have preferred Hopkins just made it the first time around though. But we'll go into that next game. Your division rivals, the Chicago Bears, snuck away with the win. And I say sneak because they were up 20-3 to with less than five minutes to go in this game before a deep pass, a turnover, and almost a third down stop led the Bengals to an improbable Drive at least down three. What did you make of this game from your division rival? You finally get to see Justin Fields. But Matt Nagy says that Justin Fields is not the starting quarterback if Andy Dalton's healthy. Yeah, you know, I didn't really take too 
too, too much away from this game. Justin Fields is 6 of 13 with 60 yards in the interception. Not like Andy Dalton was doing anything amazing prior to that. Only 56 yards. Yes, he had a touchdown. Joe Burrow couldn't really get it done either. Both these offensive lines were an absolute joke this year. That was the number one question coming into this year's Chicago and Cincinnati's offensive line play. Now, it looks like Khalil Mack and the boys you know, were able to get to them four times with the Bengals getting to Andy Dalton and Justin Fields three times. This is such a small sample size. I don't really know what to think about Justin Fields. With the potential of him starting, which Nagy's already came out, like he said, saying as long as Andy Dalton's healthy, he is going to be the starter. Now the question is, is Andy Dalton going to be healthy, and how is that ankle injury going to look? You snuck away with you know a victory, like Wally said, here with Justin Fields. It's not like Andy Dalton was going to go on to have some prolific passing game. If they're able to get it done here, yeah, they snuck away. Why not stick with Fields? It's a confidence booster. It's the first win for the rookie, kind of getting a little bit of game action. I'd, I'd stick with him. You know, I think we've both been pretty high in getting Justin Fields out there. Why not now? Don't rush Andy Dalton back. That's a great backup quarterback to have in this league. I definitely think you start Justin Fields. We've been clamoring for this for months now. If the Bears have any aspirations at all this year, it comes with Justin Fields. Yeah, he didn't look the sharpest through the air, but with that offensive line, what he did with his feet, I think gives you enough just now to be immediately a better team than what Andy Dalton's doing back there. I just hope for the Bengals' sake, they can actually protect Joey Burrow a little bit because when he has time, he looks very comfortable. And when he looks comfortable, this Bengals team is at least a functional team that deserves to play with anybody out there on the field. But for right now, this was just a battle of two young quarterbacks that we really have to hope that situations improve drastically throughout the year. Now, the Patriots made Zach Wilson's life a nightmare on Sunday. Proving more than ever that Bill Belichick against rookie quarterbacks is a matchup from hell. He forces Zach Wilson to throw four interceptions, three of which were in the first half, and I think in his first 10 throws. The Patriots' defense looks so much better right now with those COVID guys back. I'm starting to think that this Patriots team has at least the potential if they could at least split with Buffalo to make this a division, to make this actually look like there's going to be some pressure on the Bills at least in December, because Miami right now, they're falling by the wayside. Do you think that this Patriots team is better than we at least expected them to be? Or is this more of a product of the teams that they've played so far in the year? An underwhelming Miami team and a very bad New York Jets team. Jets are bad. You're expecting them to, like you said, build Belichick against rookie quarterbacks. We're expecting this. Three interceptions under the first 10, 11, 12 throws. Four overall. You know he was having a field day. This team is just going to be grittier than it was last year, strictly because of better quarterback play in the sense of the ball not getting turned over. You're not one-dimensional. You have your running aspect, you have your throwing aspect, something you did not have with Cam Newton last year. So the the two-headed running monster, Damian Harris and James White, obviously going to be very important in the growth of the New England Patriots this year. I just think they're a grittier team. Yeah, they're one fumble away from being 2-0 and potentially. I get that. Having, you know, being 2-0 and in the division as well. I don't think they're there yet. And I'm all about, you have to prove it to me before I start jumping on the bandwagon. Right now, the team's looking decent. They look, they're looking like the San Antonio Spurs. They're not going to blow you out of the water. They're going to blow with their talent and their play. They're going to blow you out of the water with just their fundamentals and their and the schematics of the game plan, whatever it is, week in and week out. I will say they, they're going to make this 
a more interesting division than I was anticipating. So I didn't think that their hat was going to be in the ring. And right now, if they keep this play up on the defensive side of the ball and let, you know, Max not doing anything crazy, 22 of 30 for 186 yards at 6.2 yards per average. He had a QBR of 28.8. Sure, he did not, he had zero touchdowns. He also had zero interceptions. Skin the rookie quarterback his confidence. This Patriots team could potentially be turning heads when we're talking here end of November, early December. I will say that when you look back at those Patriot teams towards the tail end of Brady's tenure in, in New England, they were very similarly built to this team. Nothing that's going to wow you on the offensive side of the ball, but if you can trust that quarterback to take what's given to you, you leave that up to the defense to keep you in games, and the coaching itself is going to make you a favorite or at least give you a sizable edge going into most of these games. So keep an eye on the Patriots. But the Broncos, they're now 2-0. and they get a win in Duval. First 2-0 start since 2018. But here's the thing that kind of makes me a little hesitant to get high on the Denver train. This is a team you want to talk about a first month of the schedule. They start this year 2-0, but they beat the Jags and the Giants. And they go and play the Jets next week. They're going to be 3-0. and And a lot of people are going to be in the media. Wow, is this Broncos team for real? Finally, the defense are back. Vaughn Miller's back. This this team looks great. Yeah, the defense looks really good, but they're not playing offenses. And this offense is doing what they have to do. They're not turning the ball over. And I guess, oh my God, you want to talk about this Jaguars team. I'll let you go into it more. Urban Meyer is out of his depth. Trevor Lawrence looks lost right now in this offense. One quick stat I saw earlier, and I think it's worth bringing up. Trevor Lawrence has had 36% of his pass attempts deemed uncatchable this year, according to Pro Football Focus, and that's the worst rate out of every quarterback in the league right now. I know we expect growing pains out of rookie quarterbacks, but when you team him up with a coach like Urban Meyer, who has even shown play calling to be his largest area of deficiency at the college level, he's doomed. He's doomed. He looks incompetent on the sideline. There's no confidence. He, He does not look like he knows what he's doing. And that's coming from a championship-level quarterback at the college level. It's embarrassing. To have your rookie quarterback, I don't care. I don't care who your rookie quarterback is. 118 yards, a 14 of 33 completion to attempts. It's embarrassing. Urban Meyer is way over his head here in the league. Now, let's go with you know, the Broncos. There's, there's, there's nothing to talk about with Jag- the Jaguars. There's just no reason for us to continue to talk about them. So I'm not surprised if they go 0-16. I like the Broncos. Oh, 0-17. See, I'm thinking that they're just going to be like, you know what? Pack it in early. The first ever 0-17 team in the NFL. Welcome to 2021. I like the Broncos. They're looking good. They're not. They have better quarterback play out of Teddy Bridgewater. He's able to throw it down. They got that two-headed running monster and and Melvin Gordon and Williams back there. I like their wide receiving core. You know, I was pretty lukewarm. On the Broncos, I like this start. The defense is looking good. Who they played, exactly. They haven't really played anyone crazy. Right now they have a top three total defense allowing 251 yards per game. But when you're playing Trevor Lawrence and then you open up the season against the Giants, those are two inept offenses. I don't have enough confidence backing up your defense quite yet. But you're still in the NFL, and if you're still going to rank up there, you're expecting those teams to at least put up yards because the Giants should. Horrible O-line. Then you have the Jaguars who are an absolute dumpster fire. Then to your point, they have the New York Jets. 
then Ravens, Steelers, Raiders, Browns, Washington is the five games after that. Let's talk about midway through there. Let's see how real that Broncos team against a Ravens defense, a Steelers defense, the Raiders who are quietly the number one rated offense in the league, a Browns who are just going to get their shit started, and Washington, we never know how they're going to look, but I know that that defensive front's going to cause problems there on Halloween night for them. So we're taking that step back. I'm not going to overreact about the Denver Broncos. I like them a lot. You know, I'm not telling them they're going to win the division or take or or dethrone anyone else in there. They're fighting for they're fighting for third and fourth. Let's be real. Next year on the slate, we have the Buffalo Bills going to Miami and blanking the Miami Dolphins, 35 nothing. And honestly, it's not like the Bills had an amazing offensive game here. It was just death by a thousand cuts. It was 14 nothing really early there in the first quarter. Halftime at 21 nothing. Sprinkled in a touchdown every other you know every quarter there. Bring it to 35 nothing. Tua going out with an injury. We're still trying to figure out what exact this timetable is and what that MRI is going to look like. Jacoby Brissett coming in to absolutely do nothing, which I, I found very surprising. Jacoby Brissett is a starting, is a low-end starting caliber quarterback in this league. So for him not to produce was a huge red flag in what Miami's doing. But the Bills getting off to a nice bounce back win after losing. To the visiting Steelers last week who just lost to your Raiders. Will Fuller not dressing for this game. He will be back this week, back in the organization and the facility after not playing for personal reasons. Depending on how bad this two-win injury is going to be, are we going to start seeing the Deshaun Watson trade rumors heat up again? Does this say more about what we the potential of what the Bills can be this year or the potential of maybe how bad the Dolphins really are? Maybe we should hop off that bandwagon. The Miami Dolphins offense is terrible. And that's the reason why we saw what happened on Saturday, on Sunday, excuse me. You can tell I do a Big Ten podcast too. I lose track of days left and right. But for Sunday, the Miami Dolphins offense is the reason why this team lost a game. The Bills didn't exactly wow us with what they did on the offensive side of the ball. And I'd even start to question whether they have questions that they need answered and answered quickly if they ever want to be a team to compete with the Browns, a team to compete with the Chiefs in the AFC come very late January. And I just have questions about that. But as for your Deshaun Watson question, I don't think there's a chance that he's even on an active roster until he's actually legally cleared and all of his, I don't even want, you know, that dumpster fire and, to be honest, I don't know if we're even going to see that in this year. So, no, I, I don't think there's a reason that Miami calls. Miami isn't a quarterback away. I feel like there are a few pieces on offense away. Defense is solid, but it's not good enough to overcome what that offense is. I don't blame Brissett on what happened. I do think that Brissett or Tua Tagovailoa, by the way, whoever plays on Sunday against the Raiders in Vegas, if they have Will Fuller back, I'm hoping that makes them at least look competent for their sake. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Miami's dead in the water. They're a 6-7 win team this year. The Bills, on the other hand, I think that's where we have to ask the questions. I have to wonder if they're going to win few enough games to just bring New England up and make that the division race that I alluded to a little bit ago. But now the San Francisco 49ers, they struggled again this week, this time with the Philadelphia Eagles. They do win the game on the road. And I do think Philadelphia is better than we initially expected going into this year. I'm very happy that Philadelphia lost. Before the record, Landon Dickerson comes in. My buddy Zach Youssef, 
He's in that group me from Northeast Ohio and that Cleveland group me. He's a big Eagles fan. He's another person out there that has that Lynn Dickerson excitement. And it's unfortunate that he got his debut in the circumstances that they had to bring him in with Brandon Brooks getting hurt. But Dickerson logged 33 snaps. He gave up five pressures, but that's kind of to be expected in a guy returning from injury in his first NFL start. Man, I tell you what, this is a game that you can look at it from both sides. I think that there's a lot of things to be excited about in Philadelphia. Things that you have to work on. Same with San Francisco. I'm going to throw it to you first. This one, I actually do think I'm going to say something at the very end too, just because this game intrigued me. You want to ask about like one of those situations, what does this mean? Is this a, the 49ers aren't as good as we thought or the Eagles are better? But on top of that, Steven, how long do you think it is until we actually see Jimmy Garoppolo replaced by Trey Lance, because I feel like it's got to be sooner than later the way Jimmy Garoppolo's kind of just game-managed and done it kind of meh. Well, this is how Jimmy Garoppolo's made a paycheck. Let's be real here. I don't know why everyone's so surprised that he hasn't made that step. We had such a small sample size before we got paid, but this is who he is. This is this is a product of a guy from New England who's just learning the system. He goes to arguably the greatest system in the NFL with that NFL with that offensive mastermind of Kyle Shanahan. So he just needs to be this game manager. But 22 of 39 with 189 yards. Hey, awesome complete completion percentage. 6.3 yards is your average on those completions. We have running backs in this league that are averaging more rushing yards per carry than this. And one thing that stuck out to me is Trey Lance got his feet wet a little bit last week. He didn't even get a snap in this game. So I don't know if I'm leaning towards that right now. Now with Green Bay coming up, maybe if Jimmy, you know, isn't is acting a little suspect against that Green Bay Packers defense that really isn't taking that next step for them. And they got a couple key injuries. Maybe we start leaning towards that. And this is the tough stretch that's really going to determine if we're going to keep Jimmy there or maybe we're just going to take that chance with Trey Lance. You got the visiting Packers visiting Seahawks the next two weeks you're going to Arizona then you're playing the Colts you got the Bears and then you and then you're playing the Cardinals once again that's a solid four game stretch between the Packers and the Colts Seahawks and the Cardinals that you have here to really determine a is Jimmy G going to be that guy or maybe you say you lose all four of those or hell maybe you'll lose five or six and run you just completely get out of playoff contention in that division why not throw Trey Lance in there but again if Jimmy G just not going to be really that productive and averaging 6.3 yards. Why not throw Trey Lance in there? You're going to be struggling no matter what. It just depends what quarterback you want to be struggling with. You go back to when we were doing our preseason preview show. This is one of those discussions that you and I had and had pretty frequently. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be good enough as a game manager for this team to be a 6-2, and 7-2 and two kind of team. But at some point, I feel like Kyle Shanahan is the type of coach that worries less about feelings of his players. That if he thinks that at halfway point of this year, Trey Lance is ready to go and he provides a better chance for this team to be a Super Bowl team, he will go to Trey Lance. Because Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough for this team to win the division. He is not good enough for this team to make the Super Bowl. He's not good enough for this team to probably even make the NFC Championship game. I will be interested to see if maybe they lose a couple games, if the pressure kind of heats up there in San Francisco. 
But if they don't lose those games in a row, that's when it's interesting. Because if they are 7-2, and two, it's really hard to justify removing that guy. Especially because when you bring in a guy like Trey Lance, there will be those growing pains and possibly a couple losses you didn't have on the schedule. I think it ultimately comes down to what Kyle Shanahan thinks is the best for this team in their pursuit of a championship. But the last thing I'll say on this game, I know we kind of talked on this one a little bit for it being a hair of the dog game. But a couple things. Trey Sermon's injury, really scary, but it sounds at least like it's just a concussion. Hopefully, he's back soon. I mean, talk about a brutal break. Your first career carry in the NFL. And it was a scary concussion. Like, left him on the field. Fumbles. Thank God he's okay. Hopefully, we see him back soon. But as for the Eagles, I want to touch on them one more time. This is one of the better offensive lines in the league. Even with Brandon Brooks being out. And whether... Sirianni decides to go with Dickerson or Herbig. I think you got to go Dickerson, by the way. Jalen Hurts has to be better. Outside of that 91-yard completion to Quez Watkins in the first half, I'm pretty sure. It was either beginning of the third quarter towards the end of the first half. He was 11 of 22 for 99 yards. When you have a line that good, man, you got to figure it out, especially when you have that rookie receiver in Devontae. You have Jalen Rieger poised to at least have a breakout year. We'll see. I'm not an Eagles fan. I don't like the city of Philadelphia, but I kind of weird. This sounds so stupid. I This is segueing off of our football talk for a second, but I have to ask you, have you ever had a rival team that you like the makeup of their team where you almost like the team themselves? If they were wearing a different uniform, you'd be able to root for them. Cause that's kind of where I'm at with this Philadelphia team where I like the team. I just don't like the uniform. It's almost like those, uh, those Nadamican Sue, Calvin Johnson, Matt Stafford, Lions teams. Because I was like, oh, they're never really going to do anything, which obviously they never ended up doing. Yeah, a couple playoff berths, but never were a true threat to the Packers. They ended up winning. But I lo- they were fun. Cal- I loved watching Calvin Johnson. You know, between him and Adrian Peterson, those are the two guys I'm okay with destroying my teams. You can sprinkle in Khalil Mack there on the defensive end with the Chicago Bears. But yeah, I can definitely relate, but man. The Eagles? That's not even a rival team. You just hate them strictly because of the city they come from. If that was the eerie Pennsylvania Eagles, you'd be like, yeah, you know, I kind of fuck with that team. Oh, without a doubt. If this was the eerie Pennsylvania Eagles right now, I'd probably be out there buying a Dickerson jersey. But the problem is, like you just said, they're the scumbags from Philadelphia. And it pisses me off that Dickerson fits that city so well. But whatever. We'll go on to the next game. The Carolina Panthers absolutely ruined the Jameis Winston-led New Orleans Saints. This was a game that, from the word go, was over. They were up 17-0 late in that third quarter before Jameis did eventually get on the board. Kind of got to see old-school Jameis a few times with a couple ill-advised throws. Is this a product of us overreacting to the Saints in Week 1? Do we think, perhaps, Carolina's better than we thought they were? Or here's even a third one. A lot of people, I feel like, that didn't watch the game forgot the Saints didn't have a third of their coaching staff for this game. What do you even make of this? Well, not having a third of your coaching staff, yeah, that is going to hurt. I don't care if you're in the NFL, college, high school. It doesn't matter what level. If you're not going to have that coaching staff that you were prepared to have during that game, it's, it's going to hurt you. Don't look right now, though. The Carolina Panthers currently have the number one ranked total defense only averaging about 190 yards per game, 46.5 yards per game for rushing. 
Now that one's awesome because the next closest person is 20 yards ahead of them. And that's the New Orleans Saints, who they just defeated at 66 yards. I like this Carolina Panthers team. This defense is coming alive a lot earlier than I thought and honestly just making that stride. Sure, it's against Zach Wilson in his first NFL start. Sure, it's against Jameis Winston. Yeah, everyone was praising him here last week for having five touchdowns, zero interceptions. All Carolina does is hold him to a 50% completion percentage, 111 yards, sacks him four times, and then they turn the ball over two times. Maybe we shouldn't be dogging on the Panthers. I guess I was the one who was kind of dogging them, but I'm, I'm jumping on the hype train right now. Christian McCaffrey, as long as he's healthy, you know that offense is going to produce yards. Sam Darnold, still getting a little bit more comfortable. And maybe we were jumping on the Saints too early. Because let's think, guys. First game in the NFL, or first first game of the season, that's the game you're most prepared for because that's what you're spending the most amount of time on. You have about a week and a half, two weeks. Sure, if you work Thursday night, you get the 10 days, and that's about a week and a half. Yeah, but... For three months, you're focused on that first game, whatever it may be. So you're going to be the most ready and most focused on there. That's why all of you uh, gamblers out there were struggling a little bit week one. Because, of course, we all don't know what these teams are actually looking like. And every team is the most prepared here. So I'm taking the backseat on the Saints here. I'm all for the Panthers repping up the hometown. And to kind of like sprinkle this on here, I'm from Carolina. I've always liked Carolina. But then they got the Cam Newton trend. And everyone was on his dick about how he's the how he's a great quarterback and and keep pounding and all this shit. And they, they just got too high on themselves. Kind of like what we're seeing about the Cleveland Browns fans. Shout out to all my Brownies listening here. They just get too high on themselves. Like, act like you've been there. Yeah, I know you haven't been there. But come on, no one likes the cocky guy who got pussy for the first time when you're 13. That's all he talks about up until he's 21. Who gives a shit about that? I like this Carolina Panthers team because they don't have that energy about them they're just that fun grinded out i know that they're a couple steps away losing a bunch of one possession games last year maybe that's going to favor them favorite them this year maybe they're going for that wild card spot in the second spot of the nfc south towards the end of the year here i'm not exactly high on either of these teams i think that we overvalued what the saints did in week one and i think we're doing similar to what Carolina's doing right now carolina beat a bad jets team we know that now they beat a new orleans team without a third of their coaching staff I don't think that the Saints are as bad as they played Sunday, but I also don't think that the Carolina Panthers are as good as they looked either. I think that we have to take a deep breath. Carolina is a 9-8-ish and eight-ish team, and I think New Orleans isn't much different than that. Maybe they're a couple wins less than that. But with that being said, we also have to remember, this is only the second game that Jameis Winston's played in the new system. Yeah, he's been a part of this team for a couple of years now, but this is only his second full game in experience here. It's his first road game, first game back with fans. It's going to take time. I'm not going to say that he's worth panicking over, but I also just don't think neither of these teams are anything to write home about. And I think there's a reason why we put this game where we did. But the Bucks then, Super Bowl champions Bucks, they were up 28-25 to with less than 10 minutes to go in this game on Sunday against the Falcons. Had you feeling a little worried about it, but if you watch this game, you know there was never really a doubt who was the better team, who was going to win this game. And when I say who's a better team, I mean strictly on Sunday because we all know who the better team is. But Tom Brady, he's one game away, I think, from setting the record for most consecutive four touchdown games in the regular season. Oh, and he's still 44 years old. It's unbelievable what he's doing. He looks more comfortable, Steven, than he did at any point last year. Something about that number four, I guess, is really sticking out to him going into this year. 
Yeah, I think a huge thing has to do about that is uh, the MCL that's freshly repaired here. Obviously getting a full off season that is with league protocols, not just meeting up in a random high school, running that only to get, get into a little bit of trouble. Tom Brady looks awesome. Four touchdowns last week, five touchdown performance here against the Falcons. And then Gronk, two and two, four touchdowns his first two weeks. He looks like he's back. And, of course, that defense is coming to play. I'm, I was surprised about getting – I was surprised that Atlanta even scored this much, uh, to be honest with you. They were down 28-17. They clawed back to hit it 28-25. And then, of course, Tom Brady and the boys take off, scored three more touchdowns, put up 20 more points here. Then, of course – the aforementioned defense takes over to two pick sixes by Mike Edwards. That just put this game to rest. Here's a nice glass of warm milk. Here's your teddy bear. We'll see you never, Atlanta. Tampa Bay is going to be an absolute problem this year. Atlanta's in a free fall. I think our predictions that we were kind of talking about last year, how they're blowing up that team is a little bit. Uh, we're, we're ahead of our time with that, with that prediction because it's going to happen this year, if not midway through the year. This team is an absolute joke. The Buccaneers are scary. And that's enough for the hair of the dog. Let's get down to the real beers, the IPAs, the reason we're here. The best. The icy the lights. The best eight games. The icy lights. I got the I got the Mick Ultras, but hey, superior light beer. Hey, hey, this says superior on it. Mine says I'm, let's raise another though, so I don't know what to Okay, how many how many calories is yours? Ninety-five calories. Suck it by one. No, I got 95. It ain't Miller, bitch. Oh, damn it. The Los Angeles Rams win a back-and-forth game here in Indy. Bring the Indianapolis Colts to a brisk 0-2. Really put my foot in my mouth early on after picking them as the division winners. Carson Wentz, surprise, surprise, leaving with an injury. Spraining both ankles, like I said in the beginning here of the segment. Status for the game versus the Titans upcoming. And honestly, over the next few weeks, I'm sure it's going to be like that. The Rams were looking good. Matt Stafford leading that offense, looking like a better version of Jared Goff and that Sean McVay ran team. No surprise there. Defense is looking very interesting. Allowing Indy to stay in that game, I didn't really like that much. I don't like their wide receivers. They couldn't get anything done on the ground. So how the hell else are they able to stay in the game with Jacob Eason leading your team for the better, the better part of that second half? Wally, your Titans picked looking strong here after the first couple weeks. Is there a lot that we should be worrying about here with the Indianapolis Colts? And how do you think the Rams are looking so far? <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is a tale of two divisions. I was going to wait and bring this up until the Seattle-Tennessee game, but had Tennessee not come back in that fourth quarter, we would have seen the NFC West at 8-0 collectively versus 1-7 for the AFC South, with that win being the Texans beating the Jaguars. Not even like the AFC South would have actually beat someone outside their division. So to me, Indianapolis, they are what I expected them to be. But that doesn't mean Tennessee's what I expected them to be either. The Rams, though, man, they look really good. They're all of a sudden, they're the favorite, according to Vegas, to win the NFC West. They're plus 190. San Francisco is plus 200. Then you have Seattle at plus 400 or 450, depending on where you see the book. And then plus 500 for Arizona. So that division is loaded. I would love to see that matchup this weekend with Tennessee and Indianapolis if Carson Wentz is healthy. And I talked about the Eagles earlier. Philadelphia is rooting for him to be healthy too. Remember that 75% clause in that trade. As for your question about the Rams though, 
this team feels pretty balanced and they feel pretty complete. When you have a guy like Aaron Donald on one side of the ball that can disrupt, you have Jalen Ramsey on the outside. Defense is not going to be a problem. Offense has Matthew Stafford now. He looks very comfortable. And to have Cooper Cup immediately gel like he has, the Rams are scary. And I don't have much else to add to it, but the Rams are scary. I still think that they have a lot to prove in the secondary outside of Jalen Ramsey. We all know that he can play, but losing those key players that we've kind of touched on over here the past few weeks, now we're going to really start seeing some some fun matchups and some fun offenses. We haven't even gotten to the division games, which are really going to dictate how that secondary and how that defense is going to play. For our next game, which had a lot of defense, was not anticipating this, really fucked me on my on my main teaser that I had here on Sunday. The Cowboys winning a very ugly game against the Los Angeles Chargers. Dallas winning at the buzzers from Legatron, Greg the Leg, to avoid the 0-2 start here. Tony Pollard looking a little bit better than Zeke. Maybe he should be the running back one. Taking all of his carries. Zeke went 16 of 71 for a touchdown. Pollard with 13, 109 in a touchdown. It was just very surprising that the Chargers weren't able to put points on the board after the Dallas defense had a number of starters that didn't play this game due to injury. Demarcus Lawrence being the number one person that we're looking at there. And somehow that Cowboys defense was able to get a couple turnovers and keep that game low scoring, which is how they they ended up winning. The Chargers should have put up way more points. This Dallas team fought to the end, kept it low. And it's a nice turnaround from not having to come back and have Dak Prescott sit back in the pocket 45 or 50 times. It's showing that the Cowboys are able to win in other ways that we haven't seen them win in the past few years. And this defense looks much improved. Yeah, they gave up a ton of yards back-to-back weeks. It's almost the inverse of what we talked about with teams like Carolina, teams like Denver, the who have you actually played. Dallas, on the other hand, they played the Super Bowl champions from last year who are back and probably even better. Then you play the Los Angeles Chargers in their home opener with fans. I think that this is a Dallas Cowboy team that's going to really surprise a lot of people, especially on that defensive side of the ball. Mika Parsons looks at least better this week. And that linebacking core, I mean, you pick up the slack from Leighton Van Der Esch too. And I like Leighton and Van Der Esch, but that's a middle of the defense now that's not going to be a weakness. It's going to be a strength that they can stay healthy and on the field. I like this Cowboy team quite a bit. I like this Chargers team quite a bit. This really didn't move me or the middle too much for me in a negative way for for the Chargers or Dallas. This is, if anything, it just shows that Dallas is better, I guess, than I expected them to be. I'm not necessarily worried about Zeke and Pollard quite yet. I think you see quite a bit when spellbacks come into a game, when there's a feature back there. The defense typically will expect that there is a pass instead. And that will see a spell running back end up with more rushing yards than a feature back because they're a little more relaxed out there. Look out for this Cowboys team. Offense is going to be very, very good. Defense, even it's kind of almost like what the Raiders are in the NFC. If the defense can be average, this Dallas Cowboy team can be very good. And for the Chargers, you just have to hope that they can continue to stay healthy because that's been their Achilles heel for, what, 15, 20 years. The Arizona Cardinals and the Minnesota Vikings, you can make a case, played the game of the week on Sunday. Minnesota was up early, looked very good. You could tell they came out hungry and very fiery after that brutal loss to Cincinnati the week before. Should have won this game. Just be blunt, they should have won this game. 
They did enough defensively. Uh, the defense is going to be a problem for them this year. But they did enough defensively. You had the pick six. You had three sacks from Daniel Hunter. He has four of the sacks of the eight for this team so far this year. That's not a recipe for success for the worst pass rush in the league last year. You need to have more than one guy step up. That said, this offense should be very good. Arizona's is very good. Defense was a little bit more of a question mark on Sunday, which surprised a lot of people. But to miss a 37-yard field goal, man, it's the NFL. You're an NFC North guy, so you know better than I think a lot of people out there. But the Vikings in their history with kickers, I don't know if there's a, a sadder thing out there. At least for them, this case, it was a regular season game instead of the Blair Walsh miss or the Mortensen miss back in the day with the Culpepper era. I don't know what to say. Just a brutal loss for the Vikings. And lucky for them, they finally get to go home now. Yeah, their kickers are horrible. They cannot. That's the only way they're going to win is if it's a Minneapolis miracle, it seems like here. You can't miss a 37-yard game-winning field goal. They were up 27 at one point in that second half. Goes in 23-24. Then it just turns into a shit show, and it turns in mostly to the Rondell Moore show. Dude, 7 for 114 yards and a touchdown. Stud. Kyler Murray with 400 yards himself, three touchdowns. He has two interceptions. The kick can sling it. We know he doesn't have an offensive line. They cannot get the running game started, but he is loaded with all unique, different types of talent at the wide receiver position. You got DeAndre who can just just throw it up. He'll fucking catch it. You got A.J. Green. Also throw it up to him. He's a big boy. He can go get it. You got Christian Kirk that can cause some problems there in the slot right next to there to Rondell Moore. He's your speedy little guy. You can do your in rounds. You can just do just a nice little five-yard in where he just cuts right across the middle. Boom. There he goes. A five-yard pass starts to do a 45-yard play on offense. I like this Cardinals team a lot. I know we were talking about how hot and cold they can be. They came right back into it like a Kansas City Chiefs team that we watched come back a lot, which we actually get to talk a little fun talking point about comebacks in that in that Kansas City game. But you said it best on here. That Vikings defense needs a facelift. It was looking bad during preseason. And if it's looking equally as bad as it is in the regular season, we're going to have problems. I don't care if you added Pat Peterson. There are some glaring problems outside of your safety, Harrison Smith, Harrison Smith, and your starting cornerback in Patrick Peterson. The Vikings, I love to watch them struggle. They need to get something right. The Cleveland Browns earning a very hard win against the Houston Texans in their home opener up in Cleveland. The Texans playing the Browns hard here up until the fourth quarter started, and Cleveland started pulling away here a little bit, only winning by 10. Houston covering the spread here. Of course, the over is hitting. That's how you have to do it. Baker Mayfield, two incompletions the whole game. There was a point where both him and Tyrod Taylor were perfect and only had, and then only had one incompletion between the two of them heading into halftime. So this was solid, fundamental quarterback play, not turning the ball over. Of course, you know Baker Mayfield's got to turn the ball over at least once. You got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combining for 146 yards on 24 carries and a touchdown. You know that duo is going to produce... Now, with Jarvis Landry heading to IR, Odell Beckham's still not back in the lineup. How is this team going to look without those two veterans in that offensive and in that wide receiver room? The Browns needed a hard-earned win like this. They have a lot of confidence going into this year where maybe they're just expecting teams to roll over and have a Houston Texans team to come in out of town and put up a fight for a better half of three, three and a half, almost four full quarters. 
is good. You need one of these wins to really get the confidence going. And like I said, this is the start of a nice 10-game winning streak that they have here. But Wally, maybe the Texans aren't going to be as bad slash as undercoached as we thought. Because that was a hell of a game for him. And you got to give it to the head coach, David Coley, to get his boys played these last couple weeks. I mean, this team was so much more well-coached than I ever expected them to be. I had very little expectations for Cully. I mean, you bring a guy like Lovey Smith in, and I talked about it last week. This is a guy that looked terrible at Illinois. But maybe because of that approach that he has, it's much more mature. When you're dealing with college kids, it's that raw, raw personality, the Urban Meyer personality. When you're at the NFL level, this is a business. This is a job. You have to talk to these guys like they're adults. And maybe having guys like that in that locker room, especially a locker room that's been disrespected for as long as they have, is huge for Houston. And I am very happy, honestly, for that fan base and for that team that they're able to at least shove it to us a little bit. Because myself and I think a lot of other people thought they were going to be much worse than they are. It's about all I'm going to say about them other than the fact that Tyrod Taylor, if he didn't get hurt, who knows what could have happened in this game. He's a smart enough quarterback that if you're going to give him that stuff underneath, he's going to be able to take it, and he's good enough to take it. When David Mills comes in, everything changes, blah, 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 blah. Now for the Browns. Talk about Baker Mayfield. The guy has led the NFL in completion percentage through two weeks. So if we're going to talk about he turns the ball over a lot, it's equally fair to talk about how He's been very efficient with the ball this year. Over 80% completion percentage. Leads the league, like I said. He's been also hitting dimes. I forgot to mention it last week. He had a ball, I want to say, maybe to David Njoku. About 25 yards on a seam route in the middle of the field. It was one of the best balls I saw from week one. He is locked in right now. Would prefer him not to tackle with his shoulder as if he's a freaking safety. That would not be something I think most Browns fans are... I think they're mostly on my side. You'd prefer not to have Baker Mayfield throwing his body around. Even if it's a pick six, freaking let the guy have it if you have to tackle like you have been. But as for the Browns too, this offensive line is unbelievable. What Nick Chubb is able to do with that line, he's arguably the best back in football. And you pair him with the best line, you're going to see special things. I almost wish that they didn't give the ball to Kareem Hunt as much because I think that... Chubb's stats are not going to reflect as well as they should. But the one last thing I'll say for the Browns, most teams aren't able to overcome injuries to number one and number two wide receiver like the Browns have right now. I think a lot of people outside of Cleveland don't know much about the team or the wide receiver room beyond Odell, beyond Jarvis. That's a fan base. That's a team. That's an organization that is very comfortable with where the wide receiver room is right now. You have Rashard Higgins. You have Anthony Schwartz. Fast as hell. You have Demetrius Felton, who looked very good, by the way, on Sunday when he got his first NFL receiving touchdown, 33-yarder. A lot of people, myself included, I didn't even recognize him at first. I forgot because he was a six-round pick from UCLA. And he's another one of those guys, boomer bust player that they drafted, and they think that they got a boom out of him. I mean, then you, on top of that, you talk about one of the deepest tight end rooms in the entire NFL. I mean, Harrison Bryant is the number three tight end on this Browns team, and he would probably be much higher than that on most. David Njoku has taken steps, leaps and bounds, honestly. I think he's the best tight end on that roster now. And you still have Austin Hooper. This is a team that was built to overcome injuries like this. I really like this, what this team is doing. And here's the weird thing, and I swear it's the last thing I'll say, Steve, and then we'll switch it up to another game here. Not a big deal. Maybe one couple hours each, you hop on the turnpike, go out to Pittsburgh. I don't know. 
maybe we'll talk about that. But this Browns team, I talked to a lot of Browns fans that talked after this game as if this was a loss. One of my friends even said this was a 10-point victory, and it felt like we lost. Can you take... Oh, go ahead. Now Browns fans are bitching about wins. Like I was saying earlier, like act, now, you're, now you're just complaining about 10-point victories when you couldn't get 10-point victories for a two-decade span. Take it. It's a building block. You'll get there. Trust the process. But we got to go out. We got to go out to Pittsburgh. You bastard. I'm going to let you talk about it, bitch. Well, no, I was just going to say the same thing that you did. Anyways, you're right. No, like I was just saying that we're on the same page. Browns fans, be happy that you're lo- or winning a game by 10 and you get the bitch now. That's the only thing I had to add. Yeah, this is that part where you act like you've been there, but I don't know what to do with my hands. Is It's really coming into play. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania got to host Wally's Las Vegas Raiders here where the Vegas Raiders were five and a half point underdogs. And man, oh man, did they catch some breaks. TJ Watt going out with a groin injury. Joe Hayden, Devin Bush, both also going out with groin injuries. Tyson Alualu broke his lower leg on the first series. But you know, once once Watt went out, the Raiders just had their way. Henry Ruggs putting on a nice, nice little performance for your boys. You know, I've been waiting to, you know, remember that Alan Lazard, Henry Ruggs talk we were having. I've just been chipping away, just sitting back, eating all that up. He has two great plays that come to memory over this year and a half span in the NFL. Well, Wally, your Raiders going to Pittsburgh. They take a nice victory against a team that just went into the Buffalo Bills house and beat them. And then the Bills beat the Dolphins 35-0. And the Dolphins had just beat the Patriots. That actually looked pretty good because they cut, you know, it's a, it's all a domino effect here. But starting 2-0, 2-0 against the AFC North, two teams that were in the playoffs last year. How do you feel? I know you're going to pump the tires until they explode in your face. So let's go. You're right, I'm going to pump the tires until they explode in my face. And Henry Ruggs, I have to go back to that because Henry Ruggs was not used appropriately last year and we didn't really get to see what he could have been. A lot of people really quickly were saying, hey, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, and for the record, I think all three of those wide receivers are going to be very special in this league. But it was the immediate, they're better than Henry Ruggs discussion. And that annoyed me just because I feel like a lot of people talk strictly because of what the media tells them what to say. If you watch Henry Ruggs last year, they ran him basically every play. It was the old school Raiders, Cliff Branch. Everything was downfield. They finally seem to have figured it out going into this year that you have to throw a few underneath routes. You have to use him on bubble screens, on jet sweeps, on even just end of rounds, anything. Get the ball in a guy like that's hands, the athlete like that, get it in his hands. And they did it finally. They've done it the first two weeks. And it makes me excited because it makes this offense different. It feels like this offense is different. They played Baltimore and Pittsburgh. You mentioned earlier in the show. They are the best offense in the league through two weeks. Look at who they've done it against. I get what the Steelers defense was missing this weekend. And that Steelers defense is still very good. Without those guys that you mentioned, I will look in the mirror and tell you, though, had TJ Watt played that entire game, the Raiders don't win on Sunday. Alex Leatherwood was getting bullied by TJ Watt. I've been standing on the table for Alex Leatherwood since March, since the NFL draft season kind of really started. Problem was, he gets his first start on the road in Pittsburgh against TJ Watt. Bull Pittsburgh, Heinz Field, Yinzer fan base out there making a lot of noise. 
And his whole thing going into this rookie year was he's a bruiser. He is supposed to help the running game. He's going to be a little slow catching up with the passing offense. The only problem with that is this offensive line was supposed to be built to run the ball. I defended the moves, losing Rodney Hudson, losing Gabe Jackson, losing Trent Brown, because you tried to do what you mentioned earlier. You said facelift for another team, but this was a facelift for this offensive line. They went from being a very pass-pro happy team to now they were supposed to be a bruiser team. They're not bruisers right now. They had like 15 total rushing yards going into that fourth quarter on Sunday, most of which being from Derek Carr. That's not good. It's not going to be sustainable. I hope that they do figure that out, and I do think that it will improve throughout the year. But the Raiders right now, with that being said, their defense, they look like a real defense, Steven. All I wanted it was top 20 once in Derek Carr's career, and it's right in front of us. Najee Harris, Major Boy Jonathan Abram look like an absolute bitch on that stiff arm, though. Oh, my God. How are you going to let a rookie do that to a third-year player? The Raiders right now still middle of the pack on, the, on that defensive side of the ball. They're averaging about 368.5 yards that they're giving up. Around 250, 250 in the air, 114 on the ground. And averaging about 25.5 points that they're giving up here. So... You play two teams, you play the Ravens, obviously that's going to stagger those stats there a little bit, kind of spike them up. But hey, I'm not going to kick you. I'm not going to kick you while you're hyped up. I'd rather kick you when you're down and they've lost four in a row because that's more entertaining for me. The team that you beat last Monday, the Baltimore Ravens, playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Ravens come back to beat the Chiefs. That's right. You're living in a different simulation where the Chiefs blow leads and they lose. Up 36-25 there in the final quarter. Lamar Jackson coming out to play. Going for a very crucial first down. I love the video of it. You got the head coach asking the quarterback if you want to go for it. The quarterback says, hell yeah, why the fuck are you at? Why are we not lined up yet, essentially? You got to love that. Even though as much as I'm hating on Lamar here this past year. 18-26, 239 with one touchdown, two interceptions. Adding 16 carries for 107 yards and two touchdowns. Mahomes with another 340-plus yard game and three touchdowns and the most costly interception at the game. It looked like a rookie quarterback that threw that interception. The only difference is it's Pat Mahomes, and he usually gets away with those throws that he makes, not in this case. This Kansas City Chiefs defense getting owned, worked, murked, sat down, taught, however you want to put it, giving up the most yards of almost 1,000, so not quite on the, a bad pace as the Seattle Seahawks were last year, but they're right there neck and neck. 938 yards given up. 202 yards on the ground. 267 yards in the air. And given up 65 points up in the air. The only team that's given up more, tied between the Tennessee Titans, or check that. The only team to give up more points, the Atlanta Falcons, who have given up 80. Is this going to be the year that the Baltimore Ravens finally get over that hump and really start making some noise here heading into the playoffs? Is this going to be foreshadowing here in January of Lamar getting his first playoff win? So here's the thing. I don't think that we learn much about this Baltimore Ravens team. I know that's going to come off like I'm a Lamar Jackson hater, that I am a Baltimore Ravens hater, and I don't feel that way. It's just they weren't forced to throw the ball. They're a matchup nightmare for the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Kansas City Chiefs got exploited. If anything, I think the only thing we learned on Sunday, and I'm probably being the overreactive guy 
that you get to see in like the media and shit where I think that the Chiefs may not be as good as we previously thought they were. If this defense is getting exploited year in and year out now, two years in a row, haven't looked that much better, it makes you wonder if this team is capable of actually going back to the Super Bowl. If they go and play the Cleveland Browns, if they go and play the Las Vegas Raiders, if they go and play, even who knows, maybe Tennessee figures it out. I'm still going to give them a shot. Buffalo. You can say this for a lot of teams. All it takes is one game in the playoffs. And if your defense is giving up 30-plus points a game, it's like what I say, ironically, again, on pigskins and nylon for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Defense has to be better, or you have no margin for error. And they had no margin for error the other day. And what happened? Clyde edwards Lair fumbles that ball with like a minute and a half left when you're basically just walking in the field goal range. Not good, and I don't feel like we learned a lot about either team besides Kansas City's defense is not good, simply put. But I will give them credit. You're right. It was a very gutsy call, and I love Lamar, and I love John Harbaugh's urge to get back out there and go for it right away. This was a very important win for the Ravens to make sure they are still in the playoff hunt so we can talk about the passing game later on in the year. So as long as they take the steps, this is still a very, very, very good win. Very good win. I'm just not ready to say that this team is all of a sudden taking the next step. Well, let's now go to the last game of our recap here. Your Green Bay Packers hosted the Detroit Lions. Didn't look all that great in the first half. They actually trailed at halftime 17-14 to in this game. Aaron Jones did end up getting four touchdowns. You mentioned that earlier in this show today. Aaron Rodgers, very efficient, 22 of 27, 255 yards and four touchdowns. Nothing all that crazy number-wise from him. Touchdowns, obviously, nice to have there with the four. But 255, it's not something, I guess, is anything that like makes you really turn your head when you look at Aaron Rodgers. It was good to see, though, Devonta Adams get more involved this week. What I, I think he had, let me look at this. He had eight catches for 121 yards, yeah. So that is a very positive sign here for the Packers to get him moving forward like that. But the Lions, again, I mean, this is a team. Two weeks in a row, they're playing potentially Super Bowl contenders, and they at least look like they're playing hard for their head coach. Not all that talented, I would say, but the fact that you have a team that passionately playing for a head coach like Dan Campbell, that is something that I would be excited about because that does reflect well on the culture. And I really do. God, it's so annoying when you hear people talk about culture, but I really do feel like the culture for the Lions might be changing. So Steven, I'll let you take it away. What was your thoughts on your Packers and Lions game? It is all good up there in Lambeau now. Kudos to the Lions to start it off. Kind of to your point here, they played two great teams. You know, they're going to play two teams that are going to be in the conversation here uh, come January. For them to play for Dan Campbell like this and just show that trust was awesome. Jared Goff looking great and marching down that offense on three straight drives in the first half. For all my Lions fans out there, especially, you know, my boy Butson and then Brock Chamberlain, who we watched the first half together, this is the same thing every year. Detroit plays them close. Then the second half opens up. Aaron Jones, the last couple years this has happened, Aaron Jones just takes off, takes over the game completely. Blanks the lines in the second half, and then this game looks a lot further than what it really was heading into halftime. Like you said, Aaron Rodgers, not crazy. Five incompletions, I like that, with four touchdowns. It's a good slump buster. 
This isn't a girl you're going to talk to your friends about, but it's one that gives you that confidence back to really get back out there and start slinging, slinging some dimers. Unlike Aaron's current fiance, that's another conversation, neither here nor there. You're going to get our show canceled at this rate. Hey, if we're not already, I guess uh, I haven't been saying enough. Good bounce back game. Defense is still looking very skeptical with, with Zadarius Smith out on IR here for the next few weeks. Still missing David Bakhtiari on that offensive line. We seem to get better over the duration of that game, which I love. Josh Myers, that your boy from Ohio State, the rookie, really coming to play here yesterday. Devontae still has not been a factor. I'm okay. This is an offense that actually has different pieces that we can go to outside of Devontae. Randall Cobb coming in very clutch for a, for a three to four series stretch there in that second half. It really started to show that chemistry that Aaron and him had before he left for free agency, obviously coming back. I don't like the Lions playing this close. I got money on their under right now. So I still have a lot of games. They they need to win five to really fuck this over. I still don't know where it is on that schedule quite yet. But that first win's going to come very soon. I don't like it. Love that the Packers are getting back here on track. We'll see how they go because they have that game against the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday night to really see and dictate what that team is going to look like. And that will bring us to the end of the segment of recovering all the week two games. We're going to fast forward here to week three. What our picks are. We have updated as updated as possible lines and what our picks are going to be here. First game, Thursday night, Carolina Panthers at the Houston Texans, where the Panthers are favored by seven and a half points. This game opened up at Carolina minus three and a half with Tyler Taylor headed to, to IR. This went all the way to seven and a half. I'm actually going to pick the Houston Texans to cover. I'm not picking them to win. Seven and a half. I like that hook of, of the half point. I can see Carolina winning from anywhere from three points to that seven point with that half point really saving me. These are two teams that are looking a lot better at this time of the year than we were anticipating with all of our way too early predictions, our, our huge season episode, really diving in deep with these. Carolina is going to win this game. Houston's just going to keep battling like they have in these last couple weeks. I'm not saying Houston's going to have a chance to win. I think that they're going to have a chance to stay in this game and cover that seven and a half points. I think that's too much. I don't necessarily blame you in a weird way. I kind of see this being one of those 24 to 16 games for some stupid reason, whether that be Houston kick three field goals or whether they miss an extra point. But Vegas is so good with that half point. They're so good when they flirt with that seven and a half. I do think Carolina wins again. But coming off such a big and high emotional win, I can see why people are a little skeptical to pick here. But with Davis Mills making his first career start, I'm a little worried about him. And I do think Christian McCaffrey is going to have a good game. You'll hear when I talk more about that and prop lock and drop it. But yeah, I'm going to actually oppose you here, Steven. At Carolina, minus seven and a half. But before we go to our next game, I want to point out to the fans at home, to our listeners at home, Steven and I, we bet very differently, so there's a large difference in the amount of bets we have week to week. But Steven deserves credit here. This is our first week that, at least I've been really carefully paying attention. I'll make sure I do this each week for you guys from here forward. Next week, I'll add in units. Like, if you're up or down, X amount of units, what have you. But Steven, last week... He only bet on spreads and a couple over-unders, but he went 11-7 and last week. And if you're traditionally going to be betting 
in that minus 110-ish range, you're probably up a couple units. So if you're betting $100 on each of these games, he's going to be bringing you home about 200 this last week. Meanwhile, I, on the other hand, my number's not as sexy when you look at the actual overall number, but I had a few money line dogs in there. I need to, like I said, next week I will be better about the units, but I had a 15. But I hit three money line dogs with that as well, and those money line dogs are returning plus money, so it's going to probably be either just shy or just above a normal just split weekend. Wasn't a good weekend for me. Steven got you the money last week. I'll be giving you those updates from here on out, week in, week out, going forward. Anyways, we'll go to our second game now. Washington's traveling to Buffalo, where the Buffalo Bills are 8.5-point favorites. This is going to seem outlandish and extreme, but you heard me talk about my concern with the Buffalo Bills earlier in this episode. I think Washington covers 8.5, and not only do I think they cover it, money line. The Washington football team goes into Buffalo this week, stuns the Bills, and brings home a win. So keep in mind, again, I bet money lines and spreads. Steven bets either spreads or over-unders, typically. If you're trying to be a little bit smarter and pick only games you like, Steven's probably better to, to follow here. If you're like me and you like to bet all the games, there you have it. Washington plus 8.5, Washington money line. Steven, who you got? I'm really enjoying this Washington football team plus eight and a half too. I will not go as far as saying that I will take them on their money line. This is just a lot of points for this matchup. That Buffalo Bills offense isn't churning and burning like it was last year. It's a little bit slower of a start. You're facing a Washington football team that we know how scary that front seven is. Now, that Washington football team is averaging about 126 rushing yards that they are allowing each game. With the Buffalo Bills having 130 rushing yards, they're averaging per game on the offensive side. That's an interesting matchup that I want to look at because the passing game has not been there quite yet for the for Josh Allen and those, and those Buffalo Bills. And you're playing the Washington football team who has a secondary that ranks in the bottom 10 right now, allowing about 281 yards to what you're, what you're averaging 212 yards on the offensive side of the ball. I think that this could be a good motivator for Josh Allen to get the ball out against that secondary. That run matchup with those that front seven and that offensive line, they're only four yards different in their averages of what they're averaging versus what they're allowing. So that's going to be a fun matchup, and I think that's going to be the deciding factor here. I do not think that Buffalo is going to cover this eight. I'm not saying that Buffalo can lose this game, but I'm not going all in on the money line like Wally. I think Buffalo can cover this, again, by a four to six point margin. That eight and a half looks very advantageous for us right now. The Chicago Bears are going up to Cleveland where they're seven and a half point favorites against an Andy Dalton-led Chicago team, if healthy, with Justin Fields looming in the background, getting ready for his potential first NFL start. Last week, I think it was the first domino to fall for the Cleveland Browns to really get that confidence up. But seven and a half is a lot of points to a Chicago Bears team that just kind of got their confidence up, squeaking away a win against the Cincinnati Bengals. I like the Chicago Bears in this matchup. We'll see what that young wide receiver room is going to do without the potential of not having Odell there, Jarvis Landry not there. See if the likes of Donovan People Jones wants to step up. Someone who was whose name was coming out of a lot of people's mouth in that front office for, during that offseason. Maybe David Njoku. 
Austin Hooper really, really start start getting some receptions in that offense. Right now, I can just see that front, that Bears defensive front giving fits to Baker Mayfield. I think this is too many points, and I'm not comfortable enough giving it to the Browns. I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears at plus seven and a half because it, it helped me out here last week. I guess I'll ride with my rival. Man, this is a tough one just because if Justin Fields plays, I really do believe that they will cover. Now, if he doesn't play, I think I would honestly take a Cleveland Browns alternate line because I think they're going to run up the score on, on the Chicago Bears. I like the Bears defense a lot. What they did against Joey Burrow in that Bengals offense, which has a lot of talent, was very impressive, and I think it's encouraging. But the only problem is, is that this Cleveland Browns offensive line, I don't think Baker Mayfield has problems. Whether Jedrick Wills is able to play or not, which, again, I want to point out, forgot to mention earlier, him starting that game and being able to play 70% of the snaps with the sprained ankle is insane, so good for him. But that's my pick. I want that to be clear. This comes out on Thursday afternoon. If Andy Dalton is starting, it is a very easy, the Browns cover the 7.5. That is my very comfortable opinion. But if Justin Fields plays... I'm taking plus seven and a half for the Bears. So realize that that's kind of a contingency plan there. But there you have it. If Dalton starts, Browns minus seven and a half. Field starts, Bears plus seven and a half. Now the Baltimore Ravens are seven and a half point favorites on the road at Detroit. I'll keep this short and sweet. Detroit, they've hung tough. And man, they've had a brutal start to the year. The inverse of what Denver has had. They have three tough games against legitimate Super Bowl threats. Baltimore goes on the road, though. They get it done. They cover, I think. I know that 7.5 feels like a lot in the NFL, but I do think Baltimore gets it done. The Ravens' defense is better equipped to deal with the Detroit Lions than what the Packers' defense was, and I think that's why you're going to also see the Ravens win a game in that neighborhood of 34-17, to 34-20. So I am taking the Ravens to cover 7.5. This Ravens-Detroit game is giving me those weird vibes of the Ravens-Dolphins game that Lamar opened up and dismantled that defense, what, two years ago? It was on it was on the way to his MVP season. That game is just giving me these vibes. You got your starting starting wide receiver. He's out. Got Jeff Okuda that, you know, sustained a season-long injury. How's that defense going to look? I think Baltimore now is riding that high of beating the Chiefs where they can go on a run that if you're a Browns fan or someone who put $10 on them to finish last in the division is really just not going to enjoy that right now. I wouldn't be surprised if this got moved up to eight, eight and a half, almost nine points when it comes to Sunday around kickoff. I would take this Baltimore minus seven and a half because dare I say it, I think that this is an absolute lock. Me and Wally have a fun little... Division winner talk prediction going at it. The Indianapolis Colts visiting the Tennessee Titans where the Titans are five and a half point favorites with the looming Carson Wentz injury coming. We know Jacob Beeson most likely going to be that starter. Tennessee, talk about riding highs. They just went to the 12th man outside of Kansas City, the hardest stadium to play in the NFL. They come out with a comeback victory. We don't know what's going on with Indy. We don't know what's going on with Tennessee either. Five and a half point favorites for for this division with the rookie quarterback that's about to start for you. I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans. Maybe they can start stringing here a couple together. You had Derrick Henry just go after that Seahawks rush defense there in the second half. You haven't even gotten A.J. Brown really started yet. 
and you really haven't gotten Julio started. This seems like a good game against an Indianapolis Colts secondary that just has not been the same or what we've come accustomed to over the past couple years, and that defense as a whole outside of Darius Leonard. I like the Tennessee Titans at minus half, sitting there at home. Wally, I know Easton's your boy, so how you feeling? In a weird way. I know I was dogging Easton earlier. I'm picking regardless of who the starting quarterback is. I have the Colts plus five and a half. I'm not going money line on this one, so that's where it's different. I usually go money line on every game. This time, I didn't have that same feeling, and the only reason I say that is this is a game Indianapolis has to win. They cannot afford to go 0-3 while the Tennessee Titans start the season 2-1. You fall back two games to a Tennessee Titans team with Julio Jones, with A.J. Brown, with Derrick Henry, you're really taunting that team to get hot to figure it out in front of you. And at that point, it will be too late. You will not have the ground to make it up. In the NFL, it's not like other sports where you have, if you start slow, time to kind of really get it going. You don't. If you fall behind two or three games in September, there's a good chance that's it. You can't win the division this early in the year, but you can lose one. And that's where we're at. I think Indianapolis covers this game without Eason, with Eason, what have you. Colts plus five and a half but I'm not touching money line. We'll go now to the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, this is the game I'm looking forward to watching to most outside of the Raiders this week, just because if the Chiefs manage to lose this game, all of a sudden, I feel like the AFC West is up for grabs. Now, if they win, status quo as usual, but the Chiefs should, should be 0-2 right now. They should have lost to the Browns in a game they had no right to win. Then follow that up, with a game that they literally fumbled away. I think the Chiefs come home. They're going to look very good on offense, but you heard me say it earlier. I'm worried about this defense. I am worried about the Chiefs. Not to say they're going to struggle to like make the playoffs or anything like that, but I think they're the team that could be a 14-3, and 13-4, and run into the wrong team in the postseason. I think you get a glimpse of that here now because this feels like a game the Chargers are really going to be focused. I think they're going to cover the six and a half. I'm not going to take Chargers money line. I'm taking Chiefs money line on this one. But I think it comes down to a last minute or two drive, whether that be Chargers don't get it done, Chiefs do get it done. This is a 60-minute game. I couldn't agree more or, or try to echo that there's no trust in this Kansas City defense right now. Like I said, they're ranking in the bottom of the league the most yards allowed so far just just below a thousand I feel like Justin Herbert's licking his chops to come to this game he did not get it done against a Dallas Cowboys team that looked like it was susceptible was that did I say that right susceptible yeah well who would have, who would have thunk to a lot of passing yards he just was not able to get it done this team why not he had a hell of a game his first NFL game against his Kansas City Chiefs a year ago almost feels like a year ago to the day this seven's a lot for a divisional matchup there's a lot of question marks Kansas City will get it done not a question about it I just they have that vibe of just they they have the ability to outscore anyone the thing is that they they're going to have to because that defense is not going to be able to stop anyone I like this Chargers team at plus seven also looking at the over right now on my book, it's over 55 and a half. I like that. I like that a lot. I can see this being, it's the AFC West, 35-30 or 38-35 are what these games are all about. Everyone just below 40 points. I like the over in this game as well with the Chargers at plus seven. 
Might be a little bit different here on the New Orleans Saints visiting the New England Patriots. But the Patriots are three-point favorites, like I said, at Gillette Stadium. With Jameis coming off that horrible game, Bill Belichick's watching that Panthers defensive tape close. What can I do to replicate this and potentially make his life even a worse living hell than it already was? We know that that New England Patriots team is going to be a little bit better defensively, better coached. Not dogging the Panthers. You got Bill Belichick. If you had Bill Belichick on that staff, maybe I'd be saying something a little bit different. You got Jameis going up there to Bill Belichick's playhouse where he likes tricks up his sleeve. He's going to make his life a living hell. I feel like this is a small line. I can see the Patriots running by anywhere from 10 to 14 points, minus three. I feel like it's a lock here this week as well, Wally. I'm with you, dude. Saints are not the team we thought they were after week one. And I think the Patriots are sneakily better than people think they are right now. It's amazing how fast as fans we decide that a team is either good or bad going from year to year. It took one year in Brady's absence in a Super Bowl in Tampa to all of a sudden say that New England isn't that good of a football team. I think Bill Belichick... He's the type of guy that he takes that personally. He might not show it on the surface, but I think he's the type of guy that's really going to be coaching as hard as he can this year. He's trying to get every ounce of this talent out of this roster, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think that they are going to win this game. I think they cover, and I think that they make Jameis look bad enough that you and I are having a conversation next week and everybody else on a show next week are talking about wait a minute, is Jameis what we thought Jameis was in Tampa? And I hope that doesn't happen because he's so much better than Taysom Hill. He deserves to be the starter, and he deserves to struggle for the better part of half a year before we have those questions. But I think that's where we're going to be. I think New England wins this game, and I think they win this game big. Now, the next game here, we have the Atlanta Falcons going to the G-Men out there in New York. The Giants are three-point favorites, and don't get used to hearing that, Giants fans. Being a favorite this year is going to be few and far between, but I do think they win and they cover. The defense is legit. I know they didn't look great on, what, Thursday night, but you give those extra couple days off as well. I don't think the Falcons are going to get as much pressure on the Giants' offensive line as most teams will, and I think that you're going to see... Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley look more comfortable because of that. I think the Giants win this game. It's an ugly game. It's a game I wouldn't bet if I wasn't going to bet all the games. But I do think the Giants win. I think that a large part of this comes to the fact that I think that that Falcons offense just continues to struggle. I know they threw up 25 against Tampa Bay last week. But it felt like a lot of that was just in that momentum of the game. And that can happen in any game. But I just don't really have any confidence in Matthew Ryan at this stage of his career. I love Kyle Pitts, but beyond that, who's going to score? You're going with the full Matthew Ryan like he's in trouble or something. Like he just gave you a bad report card. Like, he my is. Goodness. He's in trouble with me. He's been in trouble. Matthew Weiss is gone. Oh, he's no, gone. He was ne- I don't know. The, t- the Tide the tide Cool Water commercials just say different. I'm, I'm actually on the opposite side of the spectrum here for you. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons at plus three. I like what they did. Every every point you're making, I'm I'm just going to oppose it. Yeah, they put up 25 points against Tampa Bay. That's gonna that's gonna be the best defense that they're facing all year. They get to face them twice. The Giants do have a good defense. I just think that they can still put up points in this game, and they'll be right there. 
And now I'm not going to be surprised if this is a push and the Giants win with a field goal. Graham Gano has been automatic for that team this year. He's been their best offensive player. This is a great game to get Saquon back on track. Finally get that wide receiver room some confidence as well. I think Atlanta can pull, can pull the win out. You said it's best. This is going to be a fucking ugly game. I'm not going to really bet too much real money on it. If I did, I'm going to push on the over, I guess. If I don't see it on red zone, I'm not really going to see it in real time. Cincinnati Bengals are traveling to Heinz Field to, to face the Pittsburgh Steelers. The injury ridden on defense Pittsburgh Steelers. Where that home team is three and a half point favorites. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go with the Bengals plus three and a half. From what I understand, all those injuries that were sustained to that defense on Sunday are going to keep lingering. Not going to have those players back. Big Ben playing in there with that pectoral injury. How much of a factor is he going to be in there? Is Najee Harris going to be able to play well against this Bengals defense? A little bit of a revamped front four that they have. I think he can. Wouldn't be surprised if he ended up not playing that well. But I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people are anticipating. I like Cincinnati Bengals at the plus three and a half here. And honestly, I'm just weighing on that half point to really save my ass. I know this is unfair and I'm doing it again. My pick is dependent on what we hear on TJ Watt come Thursday. Because if TJ Watt plays in this game, the Steelers win and they cover, and I think they cover easily. It's the kind of game that I would see like a 24 to 9 game. Something like that. But if TJ Watt does not play in this game, I think the Cincinnati Bengals not only cover, I think they win. The Steelers defense looked vastly different without Alu Walu, TJ Watt, and who knows if the uh, Devin Bush and Joe Hayden are back this week. But regardless, the pass rush is what matters because that Bengals offensive line against TJ Watt is a bad proposition. So there's my pick for you. That's two times, and I swear, I think there's only... Do I have another? I've never done this before in the two years we've done this. Yeah, no, we, I only have that one. So I've never done that in the two years before, but a contingency plan bet, and I'm laying it out there for you guys. You are responsible. I am responsible, blah, blah, blah. Between now and then, you have TJ Watt. If he is not healthy, he is not going to play, you take the Bengals' money line. If TJ Watt is playing... The Steelers win big in this game. You take money line there and you take the spread there as well. Now we'll go into our next game. The Arizona Cardinals, seven and a half point favorites on the road to Jacksonville. All I'm going to say is this. It's the opposite of what we deal with with Kansas City. Whatever the team playing the Jaguars is favored, I'm going to take them. Until Urban Meyer and that team can prove to me that they're worth betting on. So I'm taking the Cardinals minus seven and a half. And in a weird way, I feel like this was low. I get they're a road team. But I don't think that there's any question who you take here. Cardinals minus seven and a half all day, every day. Steven, who you got? Yeah, I'm not even going to talk about this game too much. Cardinals minus seven and a half. You have Kyler Murray coming off a nice 400-yard performance. This Jacksonville Jaguars team's inept. They can't produce in the NFL. It's never going to happen. Have fun with Chandler Jones. He's going to make your life a living nightmare. I'm not going to spend too much. There's nothing for me to really hype on Jacksonville where this is a potential upset spread or game. Okay, if Jacksonville covers, yeah, it's garbage time. That's where Trevor Lawrence is making all of his stats. But Arizona should win this game handedly. And it's not that weird part of the season where this is a possibility that Jacksonville can pull this win out. You know, you always have those weird games. Those are typically week four, which we'll obviously cover. 
Those are all the weird games. All that shit happens. But for now, Arizona minus seven and a half. Hopefully this goes down to an even seven here a little bit over the week. And if you can catch it or, you know, move it down just to hit it at minus 120, put 10 extra dollars on there to win some money back. I'm not opposed to that as well. The Miami Dolphins going to the Death Star. Black Star, Death Star, doesn't matter. Vegas Raiders are three and a half point favorites. How would I not lean towards Vegas right now? They're hot. Tua's not going to be starting. They got Jacoby Brissett that starting quarterback. Like I said, be quiet. Don't look now. The Raiders have the number one offense in the league. And also, shout out, we didn't cover it. Derek Carr becomes... The Derek GOAT? Carr, Derek Carr breaks the record of the most yards in the first two games to start an NFL season in Raiders history. I want to say it's like 868, but that's kind of your job. I'm just telling you this. As far as I know, it's the most yards in a two-game stretch in Raiders history. It doesn't even have to be the start of a season. Maybe I've got that wrong. But what Derek Carr, regardless, has done has been significant. So, please, I'll go back to you, but I had to jump in there. I don't know what to think of this Dolphins team quite yet. You played a close game against former boss Bill Belichick and, and that New England Patriots. You get Molly Watt by the, the other division foe and at home in the Buffalo Bills. I don't know how to gauge them. I'm going to ride with the hot team going on to potentially have the season start 3-0 against three teams that were in the playoffs last year. Wally, I think I have a feeling where you're going with this one. It's weird, dude, because you've heard me for two weeks. I tried to tell you, and you guys who have listened know, and typically the friends that have listened that know us know me. I'm not a homer. I usually actually pick against my teams outside of Ohio State. I try to be as unbiased as I can there. It's tough because I just have such an affinity. But the Raiders, because of how, because of all the reverse success, like the failure we've seen the last 20 years, I'm usually not that high on that. But this year, I love this Raiders team. But them being favored finally, I picked them money lined in the first two weeks, four and a half points or more dogs. This one scares me. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, we saw last year, the Dolphins come in, and I felt like the Raiders were much more talented and much more desperate, and they still found a way to lose. And that's what it was, is they found a way to lose. I am going to take the Raiders minus three and a half, but I actually am not nearly as confident in this week as I have been in our, my money line picks in the first two. I hope that Tua does play. I hope that Tua Tagovailoa plays. I don't think that he's... I don't think he's it. I don't think he has it. And I think the Raiders' defense is so much improved... If that happens, I think the Raiders win. I don't know. The score that's in my head is 27-16. If it is Jacoby Brissett, though, and Will Fuller, naturally, he's going to be back. He's going to be itching to play. He's going to be healthy. I'm a little worried, dude. I don't know what else to tell you. But, yeah, I do have the Raiders minus 3.5. They will be 3-0 going into that Monday night football game against the Chargers. And all of a sudden, that game has implications early in the year. So we'll get into that more next week. But we'll jump now into the next game. The New York Jets travel to Denver, mile high, where the Broncos are 10.5-point favorites. I really, really, really don't want to bet this game, but I'm going to because that's kind of what I have to do. It's what I've told you since our first ever episode is what I do is on these games, whether it be even a quarter unit, I bet on every game just to have a little stake in it. I think Denver wins because of their defense. I think Zach Wilson continues to look uncomfortable. I think Denver takes a lot of what Bill Belichick does. And I think that they're able to do that. And Vic Fangio, 
stifles this Jets offense, and Mo Salah continues to at least struggle here as a head coach getting W's, I still think that what he's done defensively is at least up to the task. I think it's proved that at least with the youth there that there are positive signs. But I do think the Broncos win. This is, again, you want to talk about just throwing a random score out there in your head. First thing I think of, it's like a 31-14 kind of game. Broncos win. People start thinking that they're better than they are. And that's honestly where I think is best in the world for Raiders fans and everybody else. I want to see Denver get hurt. Who do you have in this game and why? I want to stay away from this. Honestly, I'm going to take the Jets at plus 10 and a half. I feel like this is a lot of points. Denver is not proven enough. Yes, I know we're kind of, I was personally kind of pumping their tires a little bit more than you were. There's no way Zach Wilson has that bad of a game back to back. I'm basing that off nothing. I got to give a little bit confidence that Robert Saul is going to have his boys ready to make that road trip out to Denver and get them ready to play. Ten and a half double digits, I don't trust. Even in the Jacksonville game, I would have strayed away from this, even though I thought that they were a lock at minus seven, and it moved all the way up to nine, and they were even a lock. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I like the Jets at plus ten and a half in Denver. Not saying that they'll win Denver starting this season 3-0. Kudos to them. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are visiting the Los Angeles Rams. Easily the game of the week. How this is not the Sunday night game, I have no idea. And I'm a Packers fan who has a Sunday night game. I still have no fucking idea. I have them as a pick on my on my bookie. Tampa Bay's minus one and a half point favorites at that Los Angeles SoFi Stadium. I like the Rams in this one. The Rams winning that game in Tampa Bay last year, 27-24, which... That was the best game of that week as well. I foresee the Rams doing that yet again in their brand new stadium, welcoming the GOAT, causing a problem from that defensive front. I like the home team on here. Tom, I know Tom Brady's on a heater right now, and it feels really, really hard to bet against them, but why not? The Rams, Stafford's getting it going. This is really his, he doesn't get too many primetime games. You know the kid is going to be ready to play. I like the Rams at home against the visiting Buccaneers. Pick them, minus one and a half, whatever you have. I, I just want to take the Rams. I'm about horns up, baby. Is that what they say? Horns up? Who are you? A, a fucking Texas Longhorn fan? But anyways, I hate that we agree here because that makes me feel like we're falling for a trap. But this feels like the game that the Rams are going to once again get over on the Bucks, And the Bucks are going to struggle with that offense, I think. The Bucks defense hasn't been what we expected it to be this far. And that's not something that I think that we're going to see long-term. I do think that this Bucks team figures it out on the defensive side of the ball. But the Rams are good, man. They're very freaking good, and they're healthy. And I think that line is going to be able to hold up enough. I think the Rams come back home, and they get it done. They start 3-0, and and I think that all of a sudden, San Francisco is going to have a little bit of pressure on them in terms of who else is going to give them fits. Because I don't think they're worried about Seattle. I don't think they're worried about Arizona. I think the Rams is very much who they have. Their eyes on the rearview mirror. But we'll jump on now to the Seattle and Minnesota game. Seattle is a one and a half point favorite, road favorite. You don't see that a lot today. And we have back-to-back between Tampa and Seattle. But Minnesota finally gets to go home after what has felt like an eternity for probably their fans, their team, their coaching staff, etc., etc., You lose in overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals in week one. You miss a 37-yard field goal as an NFL 
fucking kicker in week two. You should be 2-0. That's the way you should look at this if you're a, a player on this team, if you're a fan. You should be 2-0, and you are a point-and-a-half dog at home. This is going to be a desperate Minnesota team. I said it last week. They really needed a win in Arizona. Well, then, if they really needed it then, what do you think they need it now? This is going to be a very desperate Vikings team. I not only see them covering the one-and-a-half, the Vikings win this game outright. A very much-needed win to keep them in the mix. Even if they just want a wild card, it is necessary. You cannot start 0-3 in the NFL in today's day and age. The NFL is too even, so you have to win, and I think they do win. Desperation comes out on top. Steven, who you got? I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks, minus 1.5 in Minnesota. Russell's looking for that game to really start cooking. His first game, week one, was good. But now it's time to exploit that Minnesota Vikings team that's averaging 294 passing yards allowed in the first two games. One of those was a 400-yard performance from Kyler Murray, and the first one was against Joey Burrow. So I'm expecting Russ to really, really get it cooking against there. But now here's the other side. You have Seattle with the second worst rushing defense for the first two weeks, and Dalvin Cook ready to really emerge. So I can see this being a high-scoring game. I want to look at that over as well, which right now on my book, that is sitting at 55.5 as well, just like the Chargers and Kansas City game. I would not be surprised if that goes over. I'm going with Seattle minus 2.5, even though I'm, I'm pumping Dalvin Cook's tires right now. Dalvin Cook, two-score touchdown, I would take that prop bet. That one's not included in prop lock and drop it. thought I'd split going a little bit extra. I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks, even though I feel like these two teams play at least twice every single year, like they're in the same division. I don't get it. Is that just me? It has to be a conference thing, because there's teams that I always notice in the AFC that seem to play every year, and NFC fans don't see it. So no, I did not recognize Minnesota and Seattle playing every year, but you're also an NFC North fan, so you would know better than most. Yeah, so that usually means that we... That we, and I mean the Packers, have to play them. That's the only reason I know. Which is so funny because the next game that we have on the slate, which is the Sunday night game here at 820 Eastern, 520 Pacific. Green Bay Packers are visiting Candlestick. The San Francisco 49ers are favored by three and a half points here. Green Bay hasn't done anything these first two games. And anything against the San Francisco 49ers since Kyle Shanahan taken over, or really the past decade, maybe closer to the past 30 years, haven't seen them do anything against this team. Why would this be any different? I have no confidence. The running monster that they have there in the backfield with whoever they have up next, mixed with Elijah Mitchell, who's been really emerging here the past couple weeks, I don't think Green Bay has an answer to him. They got Darius Smith that's still going to be out. I don't have confidence in that front seven to get that rushing attack slowed down whatsoever. Jimmy G, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if he's throwing a pick or two here. You got Jari Alexander, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, leading that secondary. Eric Stokes, a rookie, having a decent game against the Detroit Lions. Offensively means really nothing to me. San Francisco minus three and a half. Honestly, as much as I hate it, I feel like this is a lock for the Niners, and this is a nice game for them to get back and show the NFL that they can cause problems in the NFC West, the NFC Conference, and potential Super Bowl favorites. The San Francisco 49ers are your kryptonite. When I see the Packers play San Francisco, until I kind of get that proven otherwise, I think that the 49ers are going to win, and I think that they are going to do it relatively comfortably. I think they win this game. They cover. 
Aaron Rodgers hasn't really wowed us yet this year. 255 yards this week, four touchdowns. It was a very good step in the right direction, but you're also facing a Detroit team at home that doesn't have the greatest secondary in the world. I think that when you play San Francisco this week, I think you're going to see the Packers struggle to move the ball. I think you're probably going to see San Francisco control time of possession, something in the neighborhood of that like 35-25 range where they get like 15 or 20 more plays of offense, and that is just a critical number when you have those extra reps on a defensive line. And I think that that's going to be enough. I think that the 49ers do win this game. I do think they cover, so I'm taking both money line and spread there as well, which will go to our final game. Those scumbag Eagles from Philadelphia travel to Dallas, where the Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Oh, man, this is not a reflection of what I think of Philly, because you know where I do, but I because I actually really like the Eagles this year. But I'm taking the Cowboys minus three and a half. I really like what that defense has shown in the first two weeks, regardless of the yards. I know that you look at yards typically, and that's a real indicator on what your defense is doing, what teams are walking up and down the field. But this is at least a team that's proven that they can play bend, don't break. And that's something we haven't seen in a long time for Dallas. It's just break. And a team that gets busted for big plays. And if they can keep things in front of them, Philadelphia hasn't proved yet that they're going to be able to score on a team like that or at least score enough to cover. Dallas, on the other hand, yeah, this team last week, they only scored 20 offensive points, but they did enough on the road to get a win. And I think that coming back home against a division foe, they are going to be riled up, finally getting back home for the record. I think it's going to be good to see the Dallas Cowboy white uniforms. I think they win. I think they win by more than a field goal, and that'll be more than enough for the Cowboys. I don't like how you're pumped about the white Dallas Cowboys jersey as that's football. Dude, what they're the so f- good. They're so they're f- good. They're fucking, they're just like any white jersey. They're the Dallas Cowboys. Oh my God. Who fucking cares? They suck. They're irrelevant. That's a top I'm, five uniform in the NFL. False. Fact. False. Fact. Top five? Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. If, 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 we're, if we're throwing retros in there, too, I'm not even giving them top five in that division. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's like the Yankees. People hate the Yankees and the pinstripes, but the pinstripes are freaking baseball. The Dallas Cowboy Whites are the NFL. They're, they're blue pants. That, like, bright greenish blue, it's different at home, too. It's got that shine. It's got that history. It's awesome. Dude, whatever. The retro Eagles jerseys and every Eagle jersey over any Raider jersey. See how I've never said any, I never said that the Kelly Green jerseys aren't awesome because they are, by the way. Not even top five in that fucking division. Not even top five in that division. You're tired. Anyway, Go to sleep. I'm trying to fucking wrap it up, but you're, you're just presenting this blasphemy. I got the Dallas Cowboys here hitting the over. I don't want to touch this game with the spread. The Eagles... I don't want this game to come back and bite me in the ass. You got the you got the Dallas Cowboys who are a little bit injury ridden with that receiving core. I know you got Michael Gallup out a little bit. You have Amari Cooper that has a little bit of an injury. With that secondary that's quietly been a top three secondary over the first two weeks. Yeah, you played the Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan. Cool. That same team just put up 25 points against an arguably better secondary or an factual better secondary than what you're going to be playing against. Then the rushing part. They're still giving up around 120. They're still middle of the pack. Maybe this is a game Zeke can get his confidence back. Or maybe Tony Pollard continues 
right where he left off of last game and carrying that rock, having 100-plus yards and maybe scoring again. I don't know who to trust more, to Dallas to break through to make the Eagles look as bad as they are or the Eagles to come through, maybe stifle that offense a little bit and then start raising questions about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to stick with the over because I really think that's what's going to happen. It's going to, And they're going to be able to exploit each other's deficiencies. If you go to the past, the past games, they don't typically hit. This over-under right now, at least on my book, is set at 51.5. And that's a high-scoring game for an NFC East competition. But I think that it can happen. This Eagles offense has proven that it can score. The first game against a lackluster Atlanta Falcons team. His Cowboys are looking to get hungry against a weaker competition defensively than what they thought the Chargers had in the Philadelphia Eagles. I like the over in this. I don't want to touch the spread right now. And before we head out, that is all of our week three picks. But you know we have to have a little bit more fun here with our favorite segment, Prop, Lock, and Drop It, where we get to pick a prop bet for you to hone in on. You know, the one I made you lose for two straight weeks. We give you a lock and a drop. One game that we are staying away from no matter what. I'll lead us off here, Walter. My prop this week, I could not find it on my book. I feel like you can find it on a lot of books. I was upset when I wasn't was not able to put the song so I was going to put on a large chunk of money. Zach Wilson to throw an interception. That's a very good Broncos defense that he's going into. A young, hungry secondary that have gotten interceptions in their first two weeks and takeaways. Zach Wilson, you're a rookie quarterback. I feel like this is a lack of a better term, a lock in the prop department. He's a rookie quarterback. You know, he's going to throw it going into a hostile environment in Denver against a secondary that can, that can ball hawk and get the ball turned over. My lock in here is the over for the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. AFC West, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. Do I really need to say more? You know there's going to be a lot of points here. We've already touched on how we think the Kansas City Chiefs defense is really, really bad. Giving up the most yards in the NFL here in the first two weeks. Why not continue that trend going into week three and maybe potentially going into week four in the higher weeks? My drop here, I know that we're gassing them up. You got to gas up every pick here. We got to get you motivated to make some money, right? Tampa Bay, the Los Angeles Rams. It's a pick on my book. It's one and a half here. I don't want to touch it whatsoever. I'm going there strictly to have fun. Maybe you can sprinkle on a couple props here and there. I don't have anything extra to really give to you because since that is the Sunday at 425, that shit won't come out till about Sunday at 325. That's my prop lock and drop it, Wally. Drop that ass, bud. I will drop my ass back, Steven, and here's where it's going to start. My prop, Christian McCaffrey, and this is a weird two-parter for you. And the reason I do a two-part is because one's a little bit safe, one's a little bit more far-fetched, so do both. And I'm saying put two units on the safe one, one unit on the not-so-safe one. You'll see what I'm saying here in a second. Christian McCaffrey, anytime scorer from DraftKings, is a minus 250 for Thursday Night Football this week. I think it hits. I really, really like that idea, especially against a defense that is just not very good in Houston. And we saw it last week, even against Cleveland. Well coached or not, they're going to struggle against run. But here's where it gets crazy. So I said two units on that minus 250 to score once. I have him to score three touchdowns or more at plus 800, according to DraftKings. And if you bet a unit on that, and if it hits, that means that if you put $100 on that, it's an $800 turnaround. So I'm very comfortable with that. I actually like that. You put 200 then on the anytime score. 
you're going to make up most of it. You will turn out a little slow, but every now and then it's worth that long shot. So then I'm going to go into the lock. My lock is Arizona minus seven and a half this week. I love Urban Meyer as the Ohio State football coach, but dude, he ain't it. This ain't it. He's not going to work in Jacksonville. I think I'm going to continuously bet this until it's proven against me. I think you're going to look back at the end of the year. Jacksonville is going to be one of those teams that's like 3-14 and 14 against the spread because they're not only bad, they're really, really bad. Then my drop, New England and New Orleans. We don't know still a lot about these teams, and I think that's a good reason just to avoid this altogether. New Orleans looked great week one, terrible week two. New England did basically the opposite. Wasn't great week one, looked really good week two. We don't know enough, and that is the reason why I'm not even going to touch this game whatsoever. So real quick for you, prop, CMC anytime score minus 250. Also bet him to score three or more touchdowns at plus 800. The lock, Arizona minus 7.5. The drop, the Saints and the Patriots game. Steven, why don't you wrap us up? Well, don't mind if I do, Wally. Of course, guys. Always follow us on every single social media platform. We got Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down. And of course, the Twitter ran by Walters, yours truly, at Down underscore Loss. Thank you guys for joining us. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Always my co host, my better half, Wally Lukashevsky. Wally, what are your parting words for these people? Other than Ohio State plus 50 Akron. Let's go. I'm not ready to talk about Ohio State yet. It's been a rough couple of weeks. That said, if you guys have any ideas out there, you thought about, like, we're thinking about, we want content is king. We want to grow. And we have a couple ideas that we want to basically, like, just from bet standpoint, so Steve and I are opposed to each other. And last year, you remember the impossible Whopper bet. And that was a really fun period of time. We got a little bit of content out of that. But if you guys have good ideas, please send them to us. If we don't like them, it's fine. We won't use them. But if you have ideas, the worst thing you can do, you send them and we would just say no. So just start thinking, brainstorming about that. Outside of that, no, Stephen, I, I, I'm i ready for Sunday already. The Raiders are going to be 3-0 and I couldn't be happier. I could not be happier if you made me. Packers are looking like they're going 1-2. and two. I'm spiraling just as fast as the Packers are. We'll check back next week. Maybe it's an intervention. We don't know. He is Wyatt Lukashensky. I'm Stephen Weed. This is Loss of Down. And until next week. I'm plus nine units on pigskins and nylon. Go get free college winners there. Oh, shit. Well, maybe I need to listen to that.